Well, good morning, West Cabarrus Church. So good to see you here today. And if you're checking us out online for the very first time, welcome to you. And I would just say, if it is your first time here with us, stick six weeks with us to get to hear a little bit of our heartbeat and the desire for us and the mission that God has called us to as a church to see if this is where you want to partner in ministry and in mission. But if you are here today for the first time, just thank you. We're grateful that you chose to worship Jesus Christ with us today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and make your way to Luke 15. Uh, we're doing these, this series on parables. We've been in it for a few weeks now. And we're going to look at what I believe is one of the most beautiful parables that Jesus ever taught. Um, but before we read that today, let me just remind you, I've talked the last couple weeks. Uh, our summer giving challenge is almost here at the end of May. We're doing a summer giving challenge from the end of May all the way till Labor Day. And we're asking you to be consistent and faithful with your giving during some of our biggest outreach months. So we're calling it REACH twofold. The reason why is because we want you personally to reach deep in order to give that the gospel would go far. That's what we're asking. But at the same time, our prayer as a church has been for a while that we would reach to our neighborhoods and the nations. So some of you have already told me, hey, I'm on board, I'm there, I want to be a part of REACH Summer Giving Challenge. What does that mean? Like tangibly, what does that mean? So this week I put three things together you'll see on the slide. Depending on where you are in your generosity, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider taking part in one or two of these things. So the first one you'll see up there is maybe partnering with us in your generosity for the very first time. Some of you haven't um, ever taken that step of faith, and it is a take, t taking a step of faith to trust God will provide for you if you give to his mission and his ministry. And so maybe that's where you are this summer. You're like, I've never given to the mission of Jesus Christ here at West Cabarrus Church. I want to take that step of faith through this summer giving challenge and, and give. And maybe you've been giving faithfully and consistently, and that would be our second thing. Just continue to do that. Some of you give, and we're so thankful for that. But as we go through the summer months, what we've seen over the last several years is we just take a, a massive dip in our generosity during the summer. And if you are traveling or you're away and you can't drop in our giving boxes, hop online. Watch us online when you're on vacation, and then you can also give online while you're on vacation. And all that money is going to reach the neighborhoods and the nations. And the last thing I would say is maybe God has blessed you um, over this last year, and in the blessing that God has given you, you take a step of faith to give maybe 1% more than what you've been giving to the Lord. We looked at it a while back, but um, some of you maybe have said, I'm going to give 10% to the Lord. That's great. Some of you are like, maybe 5% is what I'll give to the Lord. That's great. Or maybe you haven't given anything. But maybe take a step of faith this summer and say, I'm going to give 1% more. If it's zero, I'll give one. If it's 10, I'll give 11. So that we can help these mission trips that are going to, to Africa and Honduras and Boston, but also how we're reaching to serve in our, our city in a number of ways this summer. And so would you just prayerfully consider being a part of that and, and being generous during this time as we do our reach giving during the summer? All right, today we're going to be in the last part of Luke 15. And I love this parable because this is the, the, the last part of the trilogy, all right? Jesus has been doing this lost trilogy in these parables. The first was the lost sheep, then there was the lost coin, and today what we're going to see is the lost sons, okay? So let's look starting in verse 11, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. And he, that's Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of my property that's coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey to a far country. 
and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran. He embraced him and he kissed him. And he said to him, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and heard the music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, which means he begged, he pleaded with him to come into the party. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this, your son, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, comes back, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you, as we've seen over the last several weeks, your love and compassion to seek out and to save that which is lost. God, thank you for your great compassion that we see in this passage today. Father, that you gave everything in order that we might be found and saved. And so, Lord, we ask today that you would help us to see the beauty from your word, that you would encourage our hearts and help us to live faithfully for you. Lord, we ask together that in the few minutes we have today that you would impact our lives for eternity. Take a moment now, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, no matter where you are, just pray and ask that God would speak to you through his word today. Pray right now. And pray for me as I open up this, this parable one of the most beautiful of all parables that 
that I would speak it clearly this morning and that I would be helpful to you as we open God's word today. Pray for me. Lord, we need you now. We need you to do what only you can do. And so we ask that through your word, through your spirit, that you would um, restore our souls in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, in this long parable, but beautiful parable, I want you to see just a couple things. First, I want you to see that there's two ways to be lost. There's only one way to be found. There's two ways to be lost, and there's one way to be found in this parable. See, this parable, we often call it the prodigal son, and maybe your Bible, even at the top heading, actually says parable of prodigal son, but that's not what Jesus called this parable. He called this the parable of the lost sons. Look at verse 11. There was a man who had two sons, and what we're going to see with these two sons are the two ways to be lost. One is a son that's far from the father who's lost, and one who is near to the father, and yet he too is still lost. And so Jesus, as he starts this parable in verse 11, he's like, hey, there's two sons, and they're both far from God. You have one who may be a more moral son, and yet he is lost. And you have one who is immoral, and he is lost. One who is alienated through his rebellion, and one who is alienated through his good works. But both are far from God and lost. We see it in the younger son. He's lost because of his rebellion. If you look in verse 12, it's interesting because in verse 12, the the younger son comes to his dad and he says, Dad, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. Now, this is extremely offensive. Even today we can understand how offensive this would be. I mean, what he's asking for is his inheritance. Now, when do you get an inheritance? When do we get an inheritance today? When somebody dies, right? That's when we get an inheritance. So when he comes to the father and he's asking, what is he he saying in this moment? What is he really requesting? He's like, Dad, I wish you were dead. So why don't you just go ahead and let's pretend like you're dead and you give me all of my inheritance and then I'll really be happy. That's that's what he's saying in this moment. This is offensive. It's not offensive because he broke some civil law. It's offensive because of what he says. He's like, Dad, I want all the blessings from you. I just don't want you. I want everything you have to give, but I don't want to live under your authority or your love or your compassion. I don't want anything to do with that. I want all the goodness, and I want to do things my own way. That's what he's asking in this. I wish you were dead. I can't wait for you to be dead. So just give me all the stuff, and we'll live as if you're dead. Now, what's so interesting to me about this parable, about the story that Jesus shares, is he could have have chose a number of things to show the sinfulness of our hearts. He could have told a story about a thief. He could have told a story about a rapist. He could have told a story about a murderer. I mean, he could have told a story that shows the depths of our depravity in incredible ways. But the way that Jesus talks about our sin and our our lostness and our rebellion is a young son who wants to live his life like his dad is dead. That's the sin of our heart. God, we don't want you. We want all your blessings, but we don't want anything to do with you. We don't want to listen to your commands. We don't want to listen to your ways. What we want is the blessing 
and then let us control our own lives and live exactly how we want to. And that's how Jesus is describing being lost in your sin, being lost in your rebellion. It's not ultimately a breaking of the law, but it's a running from God the Father. It's a running from Him. You see, at this point in time, the the son could choose to be grateful to his father, but instead he chooses entitlement. Instead of being thankful for all the blessing that he has with his father, he's like, I don't want anything to do with you. I want to live life my own way. And the scripture talks about it in verse 13. When he gets all that stuff, he goes and he squanders it in reckless living. That's what, what it says in verse 13 in my Bible. Your Bible might say prodigal living. This is where we get the, the wordage of this text of like, it's a parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal living. What does that even mean? What does prodigal mean? What is reckless living? What, what is he saying when he says that? That word literally means without restraint or without control. And so what the son does is he comes and gets all these blessings and all these good things, and then he goes and he lives out of control. He lives without restraint. Now, the great irony of that is, look where it leads him. We think, God, I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to obey you. I don't want to follow you. I I want you to be a life coach, but not my Lord of my life. And that's what this son does, and it leads him to a terrible place. He ends up with pigs in the mud, starving. All of our sin leads us to the same destination. We live in this prodigal living, this reckless living, and we're out of control. We think if if we're sitting in the throne seat, then we'll control. If we're in the driver's seat, we'll lead ourselves the right way. And it gets out of control so quickly, and you know that. Just look at your life. Some of you have experienced it. Some of you have come out of that. Some of you are in it right now. But, but what we do is our sin, we, we, we forge link after link after link by small decisions that we make and we wander from God. And we turn around and our soul is weighed down with chains. Let me tell you practically what it looks like. For some of you, it's, it's been with lust. You thought that you can control the sin in your life. You're like, God, I love all these other things you do, but like, I want to enjoy this area of pleasure in my life. And so you built one small link, and another small link, and another small link. And so now these chains are weighing on you, and it's weighing on your marriage. You don't love your spouse like you used to anymore because of the lust that has gripped your heart because of your reckless living. Some of you who are single, you can't even talk to the opposite sex anymore because this sin has so gripped your heart and pulled you away that there's just an embarrassment that you feel within your soul. Some of you, this is the main reason why you don't share the gospel. You're like, I I can't share the gospel. My soul is in such chains and bondage. Like, I can't be living like this and telling people the good news of Jesus. What's happened is you stepped your your feet into the the sea of sin and the tide of it swept you away. And maybe it's not with lust for you, but there's a number of other things. Maybe for you it was just just a little small lie, right? Like, God, I want to follow you, I want to love you, I want you to be the Lord of my life, but if I want these people to accept me, if I want to get hired at this job, like I've got to lie a little bit. If I want this girl or this guy to like me, I've got got to lie a little bit. And now you've built link after link after link, and so you're so far down that path, and you look back and you're like, man, my whole life is deception. How, how did I get here? Like, what, what happened? 
Just small compromise after small compromise, trying to be in control instead of trusting God. For some of us, it might be comfort spending. You, through this COVID season, had so much anxiety. You're like, Amazon is my release. Like, I get on there and I buy on Amazon and I feel better when that package comes and then it's gone. I got to buy something else, right? You look back and you're like, man, I've got this mound of debt now. I, I can't be generous for you anymore, God. I've got all this debt. And link after link after link, you've built these chains on your soul. And for others of you, it's, it's resentment. You thought that you could control unforgiveness in your heart. You're like, God, I know you told me to forgive people as you've forgiven me, but I can't forgive this person, not for what they've done. And that resentment, who you started at one person, now has devoured your whole heart. And you look at your life and you're like, man, when did I become an angry, bitter person? Link after link after link. Where you thought, I can tame my sin. I can control it. Nobody else in the history of mankind could, but I can. I'll take care of it. I'll keep it over there and still love the Lord. What happens is you turn around and you find yourself where this person is. Where all sin leads us. To isolation and loneliness. Do you see where his lostness of rebellion led him? Look at verse 16. He's so hungry for food. I mean, he's, he's looking at the pods that the pigs eat, and he's like, oh my goodness, I would love to eat that. He's probably looking at the pigs saying, oh, bacon would be so tasty right now. And then he's like, but nobody gave him anything to eat. He has no friends. He has nobody. This is, this is where he is. And this is where sin leads. When we're lost in our rebellion, we think we're gaining control and we're losing control. We think we're finding friends and community, and we're losing it. And this is where sin will lead all of us if we're not careful. A sense of loneliness. No one gave him anything. So one way to be lost is through your rebellion. But the other way is the other extreme. The way to be lost is in your religion. You find this in the older son. If you look down in verse 25 through the end of the passage that we read. The older son is just as lost as the younger son. You're like, Ryan, how do you know that? How do you see that? Because all these parables Jesus is telling us are about lostness. Somebody who is far that needs to be found. And the father goes out to him. So think about it. The sheep is lost. God is the example of the good shepherd that goes out and gathers the sheep back. The coin that is lost, that's us and this person is sweeping their house looking for the coin, and God has the same passion to look for a lost coin, so much more so to a lost soul. And then you see here, you have one son, that prodigal son that's ran away, and he's far, and then you have the other son, the elder son, who's there. But he's outside as well. Look at verse 28. He's lost too. He's outside, and who has to come and find him? The father. It says the father came out and entreated him, plead with him, begged him, come in, please. And in verse 31, when he talks to him, he actually calls him son, which is a different word that they've used for the rest of the text. This is like little child. But he's not speaking, speaking it in a condemning way. He's, he's speaking it in a loving way with compassion. Son, I've known you your whole life. Like, please. Come in and celebrate the one who was lost and is now found. One who was dead and is now alive. Please, come in. He's begging the son to come in. But in his lostness, he 
speaks ill to the Father. He speaks ill to the Father. And some of you may struggle with this and you read this and you're like, well, Ryan, he's got to be found because the Father says you are with him always. There's been a lot of people throughout Scripture who were even near to Jesus and you didn't know him. In John 14, one of the disciples, Philip, he says something crazy. I don't even remember what he says, but in John 14, Jesus' response is, Philip, have you been with me this whole time and you still don't know who I am? Like, you've been near me, you've been beside me. Like, we've shared meals together and you still don't know who I am. Or maybe a more terrifying verse in Matthew 7, Jesus says on the last day, people will come and say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not do all these mighty deeds in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And Jesus says, I, I never knew you. Depart from me. I mean, we can be near to God in our religion and our hearts be far from him. You see, what makes you a Christian or not a Christian is not so much whether you're obeying the will of God, but why are you obeying the will of God? Listen to that. What makes you a Christian or not a Christian is not so much whether you obey the will of God or not, but why you are obeying the will of God. Look at why this son, who's lost in his religion, is obeying the will of God. It's for the same reason as the first son, to control the father. Look, the father comes out and pleads with him, and his response is, Father, look. Look for a second. I have served you. I have worked for you. I haven't disobeyed one of your commands, and yet you didn't give me all that I wanted. His anger towards the Father in this moment is, I was a good person, and you're blessing him far more than you blessed me. Look, he's even calling the Father out. He's like, you are like a master, and I served you. You were the commander, and you gave me these commands, and I did them. And so he's like, God, why aren't you giving me everything I want? And we try to manipulate God the same way, and it comes out when we get angry. We're like, God, how, how did that person get a promotion? I'm so much more holy than they are. Why does that person have a better house or have a better life? Man, look at my holiness, God. You owe me. I have rights. That's what the son is saying right here. Father, I have rights. you got to give me what I deserve. And he's trying to manipulate the father through his good works. He's trying to control the father through his goodness. And he's lost because of it. That's the same thing for us today. We try to manipulate God the exact same way. You see, this elder son and some of us are lost in spite of our goodness. The elder son is lost because of his goodness. Some of us are lost because of, his goodness, because of our goodness. We try to use it to justify ourselves. You're like, Ryan, what are you talking about? Like, we're, we're lost because of our goodness. Well, some of us, we say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I've grown up in church. I know the Bible, so I can sing a song, tells you all these Bible stories, right? And so I'm a pretty good person. So I'll take care of half of my salvation, and Jesus, you take care of the other half of my salvation. So we'll work together. We're a team in this. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we are poor, humble sinners in need of a Savior. Some of us don't get up to pray in the mornings. Some of us don't pray ever. We don't read the Bible because we're like, we're good people. Like, we're morally good. God, we don't need you. Like, every so often we'll come to you when we're in trouble or when we're like, we, we know we can't fix anything. But like, our day-to-day -day life, God, 
ah, we don't really need the Bible. Like, we, we're, we're good. And what's happened is we're lost. We think we're saved because we're morally good, but our goodness can lead us away from Christ, away from God. We ultimately are saying that we want to be our own Savior and Lord, and our goodness masks that we're completely lost. And for some of you here, like, no, nah, I grew up in church. I'm not this religious person. <laughs> this isn't me. Let me just say, there's one warning sign, like a warning light that goes off in your car. If God asks you to do something, we read the Bible and we see it. And you read it, and there's anger that comes up in your heart about, I don't want to do that. That's a hint that you might be this lost son, this lost son in your goodness. God, I don't want to do the things that you're asking me to do. I'll do everything I want to do. You bless me, and we'll get along just fine, God. Then we'll, we'll walk step in step. But whenever God calls you to do something, you're like, whoa, 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 I didn't want to do that with my sexuality. No, I don't want to do that, God. I want to live with my sexuality how I want to, but I'll do some of the things you want me to do. God, I don't want to live with my money the way you want me to live with my money. No, 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 no. I'm going to hold on to that, but I'll do these other things. If you get angry when God's word tells you to do a certain thing, and you're like, I don't want to do that, then be careful. Because your heart could be wondering to say, well, I'm good, so I just need a piece of Jesus in order to be saved. Or I'm going to use my goodness to manipulate God so that hopefully he'll bless me in greater ways. That's not the gospel. That's how we're lost. Because we can be lost in our rebellion, run far from God. We can be lost in our religion and be near to God. There's only one way to be found, though. Some of you that love art may be familiar with Rembrandt's painting about this parable. He did this painting, which is one of his most famous paintings that Rembrandt ever did, um, called The Prodigal Son. And what's fascinating is this was not the first painting that Rembrandt did. This was actually the last painting that Rembrandt did. He did one in his early 30s that he also called The Prodigal Son on the same parable, and it looked like this. The Prodigal Son who's out living it up with a woman on his lap and a drink in his hand and a smile on his face. And Rembrandt painted this picture in his 30s because he realized, I'm the prodigal son. He even painted his face on the prodigal son. That's Rembrandt's face on there. Now what's crazy about that is that's not his most famous painting. The famous one was the one he did at the end of his life, the first one that you saw. And there's something that changed in Rembrandt's mind and heart over those years of his life. When he finished his life, when he did this last painting, he's no longer the focal point of the painting. He's not the prodigal son that's front and center. It's the face of the father that you see. It's the compassion of the father hugging the son that you see. Our eyes are drawn to the father. He did that intentionally. Because Rembrandt knows what this passage is saying. There's two ways to be lost. The, the son that's standing up in judgment, looking down at the father for hugging the prodigal son, or the prodigal son that ran away in his rebellion, there's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to be found. And it's through the compassion of the Father. And that's what we find in this passage. The, the rebel son finds it first, the younger son. He's in his reckless living, his life is falling apart, it's, he's in the pits of his despair. And he doesn't say, okay, this is what I've got to do to clean myself up. That's not the first thing that comes to his mind. It says in verse 17, when he came to himself. Like when he realized how bad his situation was. 
He said, man, I've got to go to the Father. I've got to arise and go to the Father. And that's what he does. This is how we're found. This is how we're saved. We come to ourselves. We come to our senses. We realize, my goodness, I have wrecked my life. And I have to come to the Father. And while he's making his way to the Father, as he's walking there, he's confessing his sins. And this is repentance that we find in this passage. He says, I know what I'm going to say. When I go to my Father, when I get there, what I'm going to do is I'm going to confess I've sinned against heaven and against you. So he's going to sprinkle in a little religion in there, right? Like, let's sprinkle it in, maybe the Father will show a little more mercy on me. And then he goes to this speech, and it's interesting what he says in this speech, because he says, I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So just treat me like one of your hired servants. Treat me like one of your slaves. That's what he says. And so, yes, there's a sense of confession that is going to be made. And this is the first step of us being found, that we confess our sins and our faults. But I love what happens here. Look at where the love of the Father begins. This is important. Don't miss this. Like, look in your Bible. You need to see this. He's working on his confession and his repentance. And then in verse 20, look where the love and the compassion of the Father Father starts. Is it with the confession? Is it with the repentance? No, it says he sees his son from a long ways off. And he felt compassion. Now, what that means is that the father was not sitting there on the front porch with his hands crossed, being like, nah, I see the son. Good. Come on back right here, grovel a little bit. I'm going to tell you, I told you so. Okay, I guess I'll accept you back. Come on back. That's not what you find. Where do you find the compassion meeting him? After his confession? After his repentance? No. The love of the father has always been there. The son didn't earn the love of the father through his confession and repentance. That's not where it was. The love of the father was always there. And he sees the son coming back and he rushes to hug him and embrace him and to kiss him. This is the beauty and the compassion of the gospel. That God looks at us in our sin and he doesn't wait for us to clean us up. Instead he rushes to us and he hugs us. I mean, think about how this, this moment would have really played out. Like put yourself in that moment. I mean, this son is coming back from a famine. I don't know if you've seen people, pictures or photos of people in a famine. They don't look that great. Their skin and their bones. I mean, he's been working with pigs, so he's probably dirty and covered with slop. And the father doesn't, doesn't run up and say, whoa, 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 I was excited to see you. I didn't realize you looked that ugly. Um, let's, let's get somebody, let's get him a shower, let's clean him up, and then we'll put a good robe on him, then we'll put shoes on his feet. Like, once he's clean, then we'll accept him. That's not what you find. The father had compassion for him and run, runs and embraces him. He even kisses this man. I mean, this is the true picture of beauty kissing the beast. We need to see that right now. And then he starts to confess. And I love where the father stops him. Because in verse 21, he's, he's saying, I'm confessing all these things. I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father kind of cuts him off at that point. And he's like, no, 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 no. Go get the best robe. Bring the robe out. Get the ring and put it on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. All of this is showing us the great love of God. You see, when it says here, the father gives him the best robe, who would have had the best robe? 
the father would have had the best robe, right? He would have had the, the, the best robe of anybody. And he's like, hey, go get my robe. Get my robe and put it on him. But, but, but he's ugly and, and he's dirty and he's nasty. Yeah, 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 get the robe and put it on him. The best robe. You want me to get the other robe? No, 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 my robe and put it on him. And he puts a ring on his hand. A ring on his hand. This was to show, this was a signet ring that would have shown that you're a part of the family. It's like, no, 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 you need to see he bears my name. This is my son. That's what he's doing is he puts the ring on his finger. He puts shoes on his feet. What's that about? Why is that a big deal? Why is that mentioned in this parable? Because only the sons and the daughters got shoes. The workers were barefoot. And he says, this is my son who I'm bringing back. And what's so interesting is this prodigal son is just looking for forgiveness. I've sinned against you. Would you just forgive me? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father has said, I'll forgive you. But more than that, I'll restore you. I'll restore you. You see, in the son's mind, what he wants to do is, I'm going to come here and I'm going to earn my good, my, my good name again. So let me just be a hired hand for a while. Let me work in the fields. And once I'm good enough, maybe I can come back in your house and maybe then you'll put shoes on my feet. And the father doesn't even let him get to that part in his speech. He cuts him off and he's like, no, no, no. You never lost your sonship. It was always there. I, I love you. I'm accepting you. You bear my name. You wear my robe. You are a, my child. This is where the compassion of God runs and meets him. Now this is what would have been astounding, especially to the religious leaders in the room. Because if you look back, remember, in the first verse of chapter 15, it tells you the setting. There's sinners and there's these Pharisees and scribes. There's these religious leaders. And the religious leaders are listening and they're grumbling. Why is Jesus welcoming sinners in? They're trying to figure out the answer to that question. And in this moment, Jesus is talking about the Father's love. And I just picture the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people over there being like, Naha, ah, we figured it out. Why the sinners are coming to Jesus? It's because Jesus is soft on sin. He just welcomes anybody in. But we know the Bible. And we know that there's a cost when you sin against the Father. We know that. We've read about all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And Jesus... You're just too soft. You're a relativist. You're moving the moral compass wherever you want to to accept people. And so they're mad in that moment. But we know the sacrifice is there. The sacrifice is the one that's telling this parable. He's the one that's speaking the truth right now that these religious people who are lost don't see. I mean, think about it. Jesus at the cross was stripped of all of his clothes. He was stripped of his robe, and he hung and he died. Why? So that we could be clothed in his robes of righteousness. See, there was a sacrifice paid for the sin. Sin is serious, and it is costly. Jesus took that cost. He lost all of his gold and all of his riches so that he would give us a finger on our hand. He became poor that we might be rich in him. See, there was a cost, and Jesus paid it. He paid it all. Jesus died on the cross that we would have shoes on our feet, that we could walk into the presence of God and know we were adopted into his family. 
Why? Because he hung and died on the cross and tore that veil to the Holy of Holies from top to bottom to show that there is joy, peace, forgiveness, compassion in the love of the Father. See, there was a cost. And Jesus took that cost. So whether you are near to God or far from God, you can be welcomed in. And I want to close today with where this passage closes. Because it leaves you on a cliffhanger. Some of you maybe read on as I was reading this to chapter 16. And you're like, what did the, what did the, what did the lost elder son do? It doesn't tell you. It literally leaves you in verse 31 and 32 with an invitation. Would he come? The father's pleading and he's begging, come celebrate. Come be found. And you never see what the older son does. The elder son, you, you don't know. And I think what Jesus is intentionally doing is he's extending an invitation to us in this parable. And he's saying, come. The way has been made through the cross. Jesus has already provided the way. So yes, he welcomes sinners. Those that are near and those that are far. Come to Christ. This is the invitation. It's the invitation of Christ. And so I would say to you, if you're here today, and you know I don't know Christ, I thought I need to clean myself up before I came to him. And this passage is telling me that he just wants to love and accept me and then cleanse me. Then come to Christ today. He's already made the way. He was forsaken that you would never have to be forsaken. For some of you, maybe that you know Christ, but you're running from Christ. Hear this invitation to come back. Come back in and celebrate. Because Christ has made the way. And church, we remember how Christ has made the way through the Lord's Supper today. So I encourage you to grab that cup, that juice, and that bread. And this is ultimately the final illustration of this passage today. That this is the cost that was paid that you and I could come into the presence of God. That we could be sons and daughters of God. But God's word is serious with this. It says if you're not a son or daughter of God, if you're not a believer, then don't take this today. This is for those that know him and love him and know the compassion of the Father and say, yes, it's because of this, the, the shedding of his blood and the giving of his body that we have forgiveness and we've accepted the invitation. And if you're not a believer, look around and see this as a proclamation of the gospel. The person to your left, your right, right is taking this and they're saying, I believe that it's not my good works that saves us. It's the work of Christ that saves me. So we look to the blood, we look to the body, and we remember. But if you are a believer in Jesus, God is very serious too in his word when he says, as you come to take this, confess your sins knowing that this was enough to forgive you of all of your sins. When Christ died on the cross, he knew every sin that you would commit all time and he still chose to die for you and so what you need to do now is maybe you need to come just like the prodigal son and just repent God I've sinned against you would you forgive me we want to give you time to do that and so in this moment of silence pray and confess your sins 
or pray and accept the invitation to come and be found in Christ. Let's take a moment to pray now, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. thank you that your word says that if we confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so God as we take this bread now help us to do it with a grateful heart remembering the price you paid to save us take and remember Christ now as we take this cup uh, as a reminder of your blood that was shed for us because without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sins that's what your word says and so God we wish that there was another way uh, but we know that you're the only way to salvation you're the only way that we can be saved and so Lord we remember as we take this cup now your blood was shed for us take now Jesus, it's through your cross that we can worship you. It's through your cross that we can be generous and give to you. It's through your cross that you break every chain and you free us from our sin and our shame. So God, I pray that we would worship now through our giving, through our prayers, through our singing, that we sing, that we worship in such a way that is worthy of a great, great king who came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's in that name that we pray.